This is the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you're listening in again today. Hey, if you don't yet have the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates app, there's no reason not to have it. It gives you access to all of our free resources, the podcast version of the radio program. It gives you access to our weekly headline roundup newscast that's live every Monday. Uh, The replay is posted there as well. And you'll also get access to our weekly Portfolio Watch newsletter. So just go to the App Store, search under your RLA. That's Y-O-U-R-R-L-A. You'll find the app and you can download it for free. Also, this month, during the month of March, we have a brand new report. And I'm going to talk about this report in this segment today. And I think given the current economic circumstances Given the current investing climate, this is an extremely timely topic that you're going to want to educate yourself on. The report is titled Bubble Watch and Surviving a Bubble Bust. And if you'd like to get a copy of the report, all you have to do is go to requestyourreport.com. Brand new report for this month. If you're a client of our company, you will automatically get this report in your mailbox uh, mid-month. But if you're not a client and you'd like a complimentary copy of the report, Bubble Watch and Surviving a Bubble Bust, go ahead and visit the website, requestyourreport.com. We'll be glad to get a copy of the report out to you absolutely free. So when you talk about price bubbles... Many of you probably think about the real estate market a dozen years ago, and the current real estate market, incidentally, very much resembles the market of a dozen years ago. Well, price bubbles have existed for much of history, and in this segment, I want to examine some of these price bubbles to help to figure out what causes a bubble, and more importantly, We want to identify potential strategies to survive and perhaps even prosper, perhaps even make money when the bubble bursts. Now, the reality is bubbles are very difficult to recognize. Last week on the program, I mentioned the book written by Charles McKay 180 years ago in 1841. The book titled Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds contained almost exclusively content relating to bubbles. Now, Mr. McKay in his book said, Let us not, in the pride of our superior knowledge, turn with contempt from the follies of our predecessors the study of errors into which great minds have fallen in the pursuit of truth can never be uninstructive. Now, let me paraphrase that. We should never be so smug as to think we're a lot smarter than other smart people who have made big mistakes. Instead, instead, rather, we should study the mistakes they made to try to figure out why they made them. Now, interestingly, as a bubble builds, experts emerge seemingly out of the woodwork. There's a lot of them that put forth logical arguments to support the existence of the bubble and to explain why it's not a bubble. Now, McKay gave some very good advice in his book. He said, questioning these experts is a far more productive exercise than following the experts because the crowd likes the experts that reinforces the behavior of the crowd. 
Now, if you study bubbles and study history, you can quickly conclude that bubbles can suck in even the brightest of the bright. Sir Isaac, Sir Isaac Newton, who wrote Principia Mathematica, that defined the three laws of motion and laws of gravity, sparked the European Enlightenment. He wrote another book called Optics, and it explained the properties of light. He was a biblical history scholar. He studied alchemy. He was president of the Royal Society of London and was the master of England's royal mint until he died in 1727. Arguably, Sir Isaac Newton was one of the brightest men that ever lived. But despite his unparalleled academic credentials and unmatched genius, the South Sea Bubble chewed him up and spit him out. He lost what would be the equivalent of millions of dollars if adjusted for today's money. And of course, that leads you to the possible conclusion that it might be easier to define the laws of gravity, gravity and the properties of light than it would be to recognize a bubble when the bubble is validated by crowd behavior and the logical-sounding opinion of some experts who are often, incidentally, self-serving. Well, the South Sea bubble ultimately resulted in a monster financial crash in London. Prices of stock on the London Stock Exchange rose to levels that were unsustainable before they finally crashed in 1720. Now, the bubble got its name due to the fact that the boom in stocks was largely driven by shares in this company called the South Sea Company. Now, this was a trading company, and the British government gave this company a monopoly on trade with South American countries. Now, these shares were hyped by a lot of experts who said this is the best thing ever, and the government helped fuel the bubble when they allowed holders of 9 million pounds of government bonds or government debt to exchange their bonds for stock in the South Sea Company. Incidentally, about the same time in France, the same tactic was used to sell shares in the Mississippi Company, which also resulted in a bubble. Now, getting back to Sir Isaac Newton, Mr. Newton originally bought shares in the South Sea Company and sold them for a profit. But then, because the shares kept rising in price, the allure of easy money and quick profits got the best of him, and he said, oh, I've got to get back in. I'm going to repurchase the shares, which is what he did. The second time he invested, Mr. Newton wasn't as fortunate as he was the first time he invested. He lost 20,000 pounds, which is the equivalent, as I mentioned, of several million dollars today. Well, Sir Isaac was still widely respected for his academic research. However, his own family didn't treat him quite as nicely and quite as respectfully. His own family taunted him for his investing foolishness, telling him that, well, Isaac, you can calculate the movement of heavenly bodies, but not the madness of people. So while bubbles haven't changed much in 300 years, neither have many families. My point is this, if the man who defined the laws of gravity and light can get caught up in a bubble, anyone can. So how do you recognize a bubble? Well, the first thing to understand is that a bubble cannot exist without easy money. 
There's got to be easy money. There's got to be easy credit. In the case of the South Sea bubble, the government allowed investors to exchange government debt for shares in the company. That's easy money. Second characteristic of a bubble is that when you look at the bubble and price it on a price chart, and incidentally, our report this month, Bubble Watch and Surviving a Bubble Bust, available by visiting requestyourreport.com, has lots of charts illustrating what bubbles look like, just to give you a feel for this. But a parabolic or near straight-up chart pattern characterizes a bubble. So when you see that pattern on a price chart, and there's a lot of easy money floating around, chances are very good that you're seeing a bubble. Now, after the bubble busts, the chart pattern is now symmetrical. See, bubbles take about as long to build as they do to bust, and the chart pattern almost looks bell-shaped. It looks symmetrical. One side is a mirror image of the other. Now, this pattern is true when you view the price chart of a tulip bulb price chart, rather, from the 1600s in the Netherlands. The price of a tulip bulb went from about five guilders to about 100 guilders in the span of months. The crash occurred quickly as well. The South Sea bubble was symmetrical. The Mississippi Company, the one in France that built about the same time as the South Sea bubble, also symmetrical when you look at the price chart. In 1989, the major stock market index, the Nikkei in Japan, peaked in 1989. It built really from 1986 to 1989. It burst from 89 to 92. It built because of easy money. The chart pattern was straight up or parabolic. And after the bust, the chart pattern was symmetrical. You can look at the Japanese residential property index from the same time frame. You can look at the NASDAQ tech stock bubble bust from the late 90s to the early 2000s. You can look at the real estate bubble of a dozen years ago that went bust. And in every case, easy money existed. There was a straight up chart pattern. And after the bust, the the chart was a parabolic pattern. Now, there are strategies that you could consider to protect yourself, because if you look at where certain markets are today, and I'm going to examine this in the last segment of today's program, you'd have to certainly say that we are nearing what I believe will be a bust. Stock chart patterns are straight up. There's certainly no shortage of easy money. Bitcoin chart patterns are up. Real estate chart patterns are up. So across the board, we're seeing parabolic chart patterns, straight-up chart patterns, and we have easy money. All the ingredients for a bubble are here. Don't wait for the bubble to burst. Get your copy of our report this month titled Bubble Watch and Surviving a Bubble Bust by visiting requestyourreport.com. I'll be back after these words with my special guest, Dr. Charles Nenner. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. I have the pleasure of chatting today again with returning guest, Dr. Charles Nenner. Uh, Dr. Nenner is a a very prolific market commentator and uh, a brilliant analyst, and we're going to learn more about his work. And if you'd like to learn more about his work, you can go to www.charlesnenner.com, 
and he's offering listeners a free trial to check out his work. So, Dr. Nenner, welcome back to the program. Well, that's great to be back. So, talk a little bit, uh, Charles, if you would, about how you approach market analysis. Um, let me first give a little story, Pat. When I was at Goldman Sachs, I was teaching the newcomers, but newcomers, you have to understand, were graduates from Harvard and, and very good universities. And um, so I presented the fact that markets don't move at random. That means is if something moves at random, you cannot predict anything. Um, they didn't totally agree with that. And they says, well, you know, if you think things move at random, then we don't need you for such a big salary Then we can take somebody from the street. Oh, no, no, no. So, okay. So then <laughs> they agree. So that the theory is that markets don't move at random because if they move at random, there's nothing to analyze. So once you assume that they move at random, then you want to know, so what do they do? How can you predict the market? So then the neural networks that I, I, uh, I did built where we talk about the 80s, when I worked for Merrill Lynch, uh, but then my, my programs, uh, they show uh, that things recur in cycles. That means is uh, every 50 days, there's a top, and every half year, there's a bigger top. And if those two will collide, then you have a big down move. Uh, and if some cycles are up and some cycles are neutral or down, then you, you can't see it. But then I have a system that the computer calculates what the end result is. So that means is every so many days and every so many months, uh, a market goes up and a market goes down. Now, we don't, we don't pay attention because usually there is a trigger why markets go down. And just to remind you that when we had a cycle top uh, before the virus came, uh, the gentleman who wrote the book about the black swan theory came up because he wrote about the, the black swan theory means that there's going to be something happening that brings the market down, but we, we don't know what. And I used to go on television and say, listen, instead of trying to figure out what is it going to be, try to figure out when it happens. So we were totally out of the market. And then this virus uh, situation came. Okay, that, that was the black swan. And what I tried to explain to people is that uh, you spend time on the wrong things because you don't believe that things uh, have a pattern. Now, the second thing I, I, I showed is that, and people maybe know that from high school, if you shoot a, bu a bullet up in the air, then we used to be taught how you can calculate how high the bullet goes and how long it stays in the, in the air and what the momentum is. And theories that come close to that uh, can predict how high a market goes. That means instead of shooting a bullet up, IBM goes up for three weeks, and based on the points, how many how many points IBM went up the first time uh, before it settled a little bit, we know what the end result is. So then we can calculate in the into the future <clears throat> what the upside of IBM is, and also if IBM starts coming down, then we can calculate how low it goes. So it's pure predictable. It's a lot of mathematics, and. Um, uh, it went very well when I when I was at Goldman Sachs for many years, and then I started my own firm. And uh, that's why uh, I agree with what you said, is for people to take a free trial, even if you don't like it, at least you have an idea what is possible in analyzing markets. 
Well, and again, if our listeners want to check it out, it's at charlesnenner.com. So, Dr. Nenner, uh, let's just talk a little bit about um, how these cycles actually, how, how do you sort through a market and find cycles? Is this something that someone can do? Does it require a, uh, a computer program? Uh, for those people that are, are, are listening, could you kind of dig into what your daily analysis looks like? Well, <clears throat> how did I get to, uh, to this cycle? A couple of a couple of reasons. One is that uh, I was at the time a medical doctor. I was on vacation in New York, and I watched CNBC. And they said the market goes up, and the next time it goes down, it goes up. And I said, let me check it out. So there were no real computers in the beginning of the 80s that we worked with. So I took the Wall Street Journal uh, for the last hundred years, and I checked out when there was a top and when there was a top and another top. Hey, that's interesting. So every 53 trading days is a top. Let's see again. Oh, there's another one. So then, <clears throat> sorry, you find a cycle that is like 53 days long. But then sometimes it doesn't really come down a lot. That's because there's a bigger cycle going up. So you have to find the bigger. So I did everything by hand. And then when I knew the length of all these cycles, I put it in a computer. And since then, everything is computerized. And now the computer improves its, its, itself. And they can, the computer can find cycles that I didn't find. Uh, because you know it's it's uh, uh, you can look for cycles of, of the last 200 years, and that's too much work for us. So the computer can do it in five minutes. <laughs> so you said uh, just for example a 53-day cycle. Does each market that you analyze? So just for example, if you look at uh, the S&P 500 and you look at the gold market, does each market have a cycle or a series of cycles that is unique to that market? Or are these cycles more universally applied? No, no, they're unique. So what we do is we do the bond market, we do the dollar market, we do the currency market. We do uh, sometimes real estate, even uh, European markets, Bitcoin. We have a lot of requests on Bitcoin. Now, Bitcoin is very simple. And you'll ask me, why would it be simple? Because there could be some noise. Let's say uh, IBM goes according to cycle, but there could be some noise because some fundamentals interfere. Uh, but Bitcoin has no fundamentals. Nobody really knows why it goes up and down. It's all cycles. So that makes it, makes it very, very predictable. And um, it actually proves is that if you understand that Bitcoin is just cycles and, and price targets, and then you put next to it uh, what IBM does, then if you believe that for Bitcoin there are no fundamentals, then stop looking at all these analysts and all these reports of IBM because we just proved that Bitcoin can be predicted without any fundamentals. So it saves a lot of time. So let's talk about Bitcoin, because certainly it's got a, a lot of attention. And, um, you know, it's, I think a lot of people are fascinated by the fact that something that uh, a unit of digital currency that was worth less than a penny a dozen years ago is now it's been over 50,000. Um, what, what do you see as far as Bitcoin? Can you talk a bit about the cycles and, and how you interpret uh, where Bitcoin goes from here? So very short term this morning, we wrote that as long as because we were out of Bitcoin before the thing crashed because the cycle topped. And I think the cycle bottoms again today or tomorrow. I have to look it up. And we said the target that I'm looking for uh, is 43,500. And as long as it doesn't go below 43,500, since the cycle is up, uh, it moves up again. And the weekly cycle is that is a couple of weeks is up. So 
as long as 43,500 is holding, we should go back, uh, uh, have an up move in Bitcoin. So talk a bit, if you would, please, about um, a lot of a lot of talk about currencies and, you know, fundamentally speaking, uh, a lot of uh, quantitative easing, a lot of uh, money creation going on, not only United, in the United States, but around the world. Um, talk a bit about the U.S. dollar and, and what your cycles are telling you as far as the U.S. dollar is concerned. So you see, the good thing is I don't have to deal with all these explanations because it, it doesn't make a difference anyway. So that saves me a lot of time. <clears throat> and if people say, why do you think the market goes up or down at a dollar? I says, well, we'll read it in a newspaper in a couple of days. I don't know. So the dollar very specific is a small bounce. The dollar index is in a small bounce. That could take another week or so. And then we see uh, we see the dollar uh, weakening again, especially if the dollar index can close below 90. So uh, we were short the whole time, and uh, now we have no position. And I think in a week or so, the cycle turns down. And then if it goes below 90, then the dollar goes down again. Now, I'm sure that there's going to be an explanation. It's very interesting. We do intraday updates. So during the day, we can say uh, the cycle, now we talk about hourly cycles. The hourly cycle is up till quarter to three. And the price target, let's say, on the S&P or the Bitcoin is so and so and so. And even during the day, then something happens at a quarter to three and the people says, oh, that's why the market turned. And it's a philosophical question if that's really the reason or not. I'm still not final. I'm still not sure about it. The only thing is, is very interesting that these hourly cycles during the day work very well. And then, of course, there has to be a trigger. So something or, or Trump said something or the Fed said something. There's always a reason why. And actually, I think the easiest thing to deal with is to say there's nothing to do with it. So you don't have to go into it. You don't have to listen. You don't have to understand it. Uh, I think nobody really understands what's going on. This is not going to end well, because if it will be so simple that uh, the Fed just uh, keeps the, the interest rates very low, then we would create uh, riches for the next thousand years, right? If it's that simple, just keep it low and everybody becomes rich in the end. So obviously, if they would have been so simple, they would have tried it already a long time ago. So this is not going to continue well. And I warn people that, you know, everybody's going to get hurt very, very deeply, uh, as happened in the bond market, because at the top of the bond market, the cycle topped. And it was a long-term cycle. And I said, listen, uh, there has been a bull market since the 80s. And for 40, 50 years, and people don't realize bonds can go down. And once they go down and the economy picks up, they will never get back up where they are. I mean, a stock in, in cycles can get up. But a bond only uh, stays, let's say, for 10 years. And if, uh, if interest rates continue to rise, you never get your money back, especially if you invest it in a bond fund. Because if you buy a bond for $1,000, at least you get back your $1,000. But if you're in a bond fund and you lose a lot of money, you want to get out, you never get your capital back. So since, as I wrote this morning also, since there's much more money in bonds uh, for people who keep their pensions than in stocks, I find it very strange. There must have been a big destruction of capital. But until now, I don't hear anybody about it. Well, we are chatting today with Dr. Charles Nenner. His website is www.charlesnenner.com. You can go there and uh, check out his work. He's offering a four-week free trial. And again, the website is charlesnenner.com. 
I'll continue my conversation with Dr. Netter when RLA Radio returns. Stay with us. I'm Dennis Tuberg, and you're listening to RLA Radio. I have the pleasure of chatting once again today with returning guest, Dr. Charles Nenner. Uh, Dr. Nenner is a uh, market analyst and uh, a cycles expert. Um, you have potentially seen Dr. Nenner uh, on any number of uh, news channels or uh, financial or uh, media publications. He is uh, a prolific commentator. You can check out his work at charlesnenner.com, and he's offering a free trial to check out his work for four weeks as well. And uh, Dr. Nenner, before we jump back in and talk about uh, how you see certain markets, uh, talk to the listeners a bit about uh, who you work with. Do you work largely with individuals, largely with institutions? Can you just who, who do you work with primarily? Well, when I left Merrill Lynch, and actually we left because Obama didn't allow. Uh, the company to do its own investing, and, and my system was used for the prop traders. That means it's the own investments of uh, of Goldman Sachs. So a lot of partners left. I also left, and they started a hedge fund. And then because they, we continue to be in, in contact, so they were clients. And then other hedge funds are clients, and um, the people that you really see on television, but I can't mention the name. But if you talk about individuals, individuals are so rich these days. I mean, a normal individual, not a normal individual, but you find individuals that have 100, 200, 300 million dollars. Uh, interesting is that how do you get there? Because if you talk of financial markets, they have no clue, but they must have some other other uh, aspects that they're good at. So they made a lot of money. And then we got a big inflow. Like I said, uh, especially when the markets took off of, uh, of smaller investors. And uh, even more inflow when this Bitcoin took off because there's a lot of talk about Bitcoin, but there are very few people can tell you where the Bitcoin is going to go next week and where the top is and where the low is. So for now, we have little competition. So we got all kinds of plans. Uh, we got institutional plans and we got uh, educational plans and for small investors. Uh, so actually, all across. Well, let's talk a bit about where you see stocks heading. Uh, we talk a lot with uh, a number of different guests, and everybody has their own way of, of analyzing things. But recently, we chatted a bit about the Buffett indicator being overvalued. And at this point, from uh, right. a, a market cap to GDP uh, uh, perspective, that we're using that measurement, stocks are more overvalued now than at any point in history. Uh, where do you see stocks going both short-term and long-term? Well, I also wrote about Buffett indicator that, you know, it's out, out of out of control. <clears throat> there's something, out, except my not looking at my research, there's an interesting thing which I published. I, make it, I made an exponential chart. Now, that's too difficult to explain, but if people want to know what an exponential chart is, they can Google it. So I made an exponential chart of the Dow Jones. And I went back to 1880. And I draw a trend line through all the tops. And every top, 1929, 1967, 1987, uh, 2000, 2007, all, they all ended at the, at the line. And for this year, I said the line is around 3980. And it says the chances that we will break above a trend line that is more than 140 years long is very small. Uh, sorry, 3980, 3975, we got out. Uh, 
because of this situation, but also because you mentioned the buffer decade, but my cycles are topping uh, later in March. Um, now, of course, now it's all fundamentals, but the bond market was supposed to uh, to crash, which it did. It means now uh, stocks are even more expensive because if you compare where interest rates are, uh, they're even more overvalued than before interest rates went up. But especially the cycle is stopping. And uh, my price target for this year was uh, 39.80. Apart from the trend line, it's just nice to know that the trend line is there. But with my system, we also came to 39.80. Never been there already. So we really did lighten up. And uh, apart from that, I don't know if everybody's familiar with that. We're looking always at the VIX. Uh, We don't go short markets. We buy the VIX very successfully. And uh, later in March, the VIX makes a makes a big low. That means it's the, the idea that the market will sell off is there. And again, we probably go long the VIX um, because the risk is very small. You don't have to go short. The even uh, call spreads we do, you can buy calls on the VIX, and the uh, the upside is amazing. So. Long term, uh, do, you, do you have a price target for, say, the S&P 500 or the Dow? Do you, do you see an ultimate bottom here? Like so many analysts are saying that, uh, you, you know, you're going to see the Dow go below 10,000 at some point uh, when you especially look at the, the Dow to gold ratio. What's your take? Well, I look at I, I agree with it and I do it in a different way. As, as probably every broker will tell your clients, not your clients, so the people listen to you, that the average uh, gain for the stocks is around 7% a year. Now, what you do is, from, if you're from 1900, and they should challenge the broker, if from 1900 you draw a line with an angle that is 7% a year, then I think you're right now 67% above that line. So only to get back to that line, we have to come huge down in order to be averaging 7%. So if somebody would take a look in 20, 30 years, and we're still 7%, this, this has to come down much below the line. Uh, so the, the nonsense is that it goes up 7% a year, but what, from, from which situation? So I don't think if you are 67% above the line that this thing now will continue up 7% a year. So there are all kinds of more fundamental ideas why this market uh, doesn't look good. But again, the major thing is the cycle top late in March. Um, my price target was 39.80. Uh, maybe hit it one more time, and I would urge people to uh, to or look what we do. You know, at four weeks, probably it's going to happen in four weeks. So maybe you you sign up for free and do the VIX trade in order to be uh, have some defense if they're not out of the market or lighten up on stocks. So let me get your opinion, Dr. Netter, on where gold ultimately goes. Can what, what's your what are your cycles telling you? The cycles are telling me that in a couple of weeks, uh, the cycles are going to turn up and we should make new highs in gold. Um, we got out, uh, I think, around, I think, just above 2,000 or so when a cycle topped and we still didn't get in yet. And I'm very careful because it's very tricky. A lot of people can't wait to trade it, so they trade it anyway, and then they're being stopped out and they trade it anyway. And I just write and I urge people just tent the site until all the cycles bottom. And then we should go up to two and a half thousand. Do you see silver following gold uh, from, from from these levels up uh, the same percentage? Yeah, silver actually is behaving better than gold. 
Uh, yes, silver, silver should also make a new high. So, do you see uh, fiat currencies? Do your cycles tell you that the, the euro, the dollar, are you seeing, given all the money creation going on, there's a lot of talk about uh, that we'll have to see some type of a, a currency reset. Purely from a cycles perspective, uh, are you seeing anything uh, in your cycles that would have you uh, confirm that opinion, or, or would you uh, would you take a different position? Well, I tell you honestly, I don't know really what to mean by a reset. I always hear the word reset, and I ask people, "What does it mean?" And I didn't really get a good idea what to mean by reset. <clears throat> Again. Uh, I don't think I have that, all the knowledge that, that has to be uh, checked for, for giving answers. First of all, I don't know what the reset is. My work is very simple. I tell them if something goes up or down, I tell them when it goes up and down and how much it goes up and down. And uh, the difficult uh, situations and philosophies I leave out to the uh, pundits on television. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. Take someone who's listening to this today that has money in a retirement account. Uh, here in the States, obviously, there's IRAs and 401ks. Depending on where you are, it's, it's called something different. What advice would you have for someone who's following the traditional buy and hold stocks and bonds investment strategies? Well, buy and hold for, for bonds is a catastrophe. Um, because, you know, I wrote that when bonds were like 1%, I says, you know, you, you don't think inflation ever is going to be in your lifetime 2%, so you already lose money, and you think the interest rates are never going to go up anymore. So so I never understood why people will buy uh, bonds at, at those levels. Uh, the stocks is a problem. If you don't want to get out of the stocks, my idea is buy the VIX. If you watch the research, we explained it a little bit. It doesn't need a lot of investment. Uh, to uh, to calculate how many uh, you have to invest in the VIX in order, if there's going to be a crash based on cycles, to uh, to defend your position, and then you don't have to sell out. But you have you have to do something. This is not going to end well. So moving ahead, do you see any? What what would be your favorite asset class uh, going through 2021? Do you do you have a favorite as to what you think an asset class that will outperform every other? I, th I still think the metals. I think the metals will, will outperform. Uh, I uh, for a long time I said that the bonds will outperform. That actually is there is an ETF called TBT, and if bonds go down, TBT goes up, and it did so amazing. Uh, but we're getting close to the end, so it will not outperform from here. But the one that still has to start is are the metals, the silver and gold. Um, also, I still, uh, not that I, I'm a believer or anything, but I see Bitcoin still looks okay uh, for a while. Um, but you have to be very careful. Uh, uh, like uh, last week, you know, last week the S&P came down, uh, the gold uh, collapsed, and the bond collapses, and you lost on every front. So it's difficult, and you really have to know what you're doing. The easy, easy money is over. Well, we're going to have to leave it there. My guest today has been Dr. Charles Nenner. His website is www.charlesnenner.com. Uh, Nenner is spelled N-E-N-N-E-R. And I encourage you to check it out. You can get a free four-week trial to uh, see what his, uh, his work is. Uh, always enjoy talking to you, Dr. Nenner, and love to have you back down the road. Thank you for joining us today. 
Okay, when something starts turning sour, then we'll talk again. You uh, definitely will definitely have you back, and we will return after these words. I'm Dennis Tubergen. You are listening to RLA Radio. Thanks again to Dr. Charles Nenner for joining us on this week's program. In the first segment, I talked about a report that we're offering during the month of March titled Bubble Watch and Surviving a Bubble Bust. If you'd like to get your copy of this free report that not only helps you identify price bubbles, but gives you some strategies to consider that may help protect you from a bubble busting, all you need to do is go to requestyourreport.com. The website, again, to get your copy of this month's report, requestyourreport.com. So in the first segment, I talked about the fact that in order for a bubble to exist, you have to have easy money or easy credit. Easy money and easy credit are essentially bubble fuel. And then when you look at a price chart of a particular asset, and it doesn't really matter what that asset is. It could be stock. It could be cryptocurrency. It could be real estate. It could be anything. When that price pattern goes parabolic or almost straight up, you know that there is a very good chance that you're seeing a bubble. Now go take a look at a chart of the S&P 500. Compare the current chart pattern that is parabolic or straight up to the chart patterns we saw at the time of the tech stock bubble and at the time of the financial crisis, and you'll see the chart pattern today is far more straight up. It's far more parabolic. You can draw similar conclusions by looking at the real estate market. So, for example, the Case-Shiller Housing Index is the most widely used index to track the value of residential real estate. And you can see that real estate prices now are at all-time highs, higher now than they were at the time of the housing market bust. And certainly, if you've been involved in the real estate market at all, you know that we're seeing very, very similar activity. I mentioned Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. They're also having straight-up chart patterns, including Ethereum. And perhaps the most alarming straight-up chart pattern is that of money creation. When you keep in mind that easy money and easy credit are bubble fuel, as I said at the outset of this segment, what happens if the bubble fuel no longer exists? In other words, what happens if the money creation stops? You'd have to assume that bubbles cannot exist without bubble fuel, and you'd have to come to the inescapable conclusion that the price bubble will have to collapse. And if the easy money and easy credit continue, as it seems like they will near term, the price bubbles could go nominally higher, but in real terms, adjusted for the real inflation rate, they will still have to decline. That's why in my book, Revenue Sourcing, I outline a two-bucket approach to managing assets. You need one bucket of assets that will preserve your assets when these bubbles burst, and you need another bucket of assets that will perform well in an inflationary environment. Now, my point is this. Bubbles always burst. The question moving ahead is, will the price bubbles burst before the money bubble bursts? 
or will it be the other way around? And you need to be prepared as best you can for both outcomes. Now, at this point, it seems that those in charge of monetary policy will continue to create money. Jerome Powell, who is the chair of the Federal Reserve, recently made what I thought was a remarkable statement. Now, Mr. Powell was, be, was being questioned by Congressman Warren Davidson. Mr. Davidson asked Mr. Powell if the money supply going up at this rate would diminish the value of the U.S. dollar. Now, listen to what Mr. Powell said. Quote, there was a time when monetary policy aggregates were important determinants of inflation, and that has not been the case for a long time. The correlation between different aggregates like M2 and inflation is just very, very low. Now let's rephrase the chairman's statement for clarity. This is my attempt to rephrase it. There was a time that money creation caused inflation, but that's not the case presently. The amount of money printed and the rate of inflation are not closely correlated. So let me get this straight, Mr. Chairman. It used to be that money printing increased the rate of inflation, but that's no longer the case. What has changed? Have the basic rules of economics changed? Have the laws of supply and demand changed? Does an abundance of something, including money, make that something more valuable? Obviously, this is not the case. Scarcity creates value, and abundance does exactly the opposite. An abundance of money makes it less potent. An abundance of money does create inflation, as we are currently witnessing firsthand in many parts of the economy. The only thing that has changed is the way the inflation rate is calculated. Now, I've often used the following illustration to make the point. When I'm in Florida, I like to go fishing, and one of my favorite species of fish to catch requires that it be 12 inches long in order to keep it. So when you're fishing, it's easy to figure out if the fish is a keeper or not by taking an ordinary 12-inch ruler and holding it next to the fish. Now, what if I decide to cut my ruler in half and recalibrate the numbers so there are 12 inches on the ruler? I still have a ruler that says it's a 12-inch ruler, but it's half as long as the ruler I used on my prior fishing trips. Now, using a new, shorter ruler... I catch a lot more keepers. Am I a better fisherman? No, but I changed the measuring sticks and now I can keep more fish. See, reality hasn't changed. Reality hasn't changed at all. Only the way I measure reality has changed. And that's what the Fed is doing. The way the inflation rate is calculated, the inflation ruler, if you will, has been recalibrated. There are techniques like substitution, hedonic adjustments, and weightings that all go in to essentially manipulating the inflation rate. John Williams from Shadow Stats has been on the program in the past. He says that the real inflation rate is running probably about 7 or 8% more than the official reported inflation rate, and that feels about right to most of us. So the point is, if the money printing continues, the bubbles may last a little bit longer, but bubbles always burst. So to that end, I would encourage you to educate yourself. I'd encourage you to go to requestyourreport.com, 
Get our March report, Bubble Watch and Surviving a Bubble Bust. If you are a client of our company, you will automatically get this report mailed to you in the middle of March. If you're not, we'd be glad to send you a complimentary copy. Again, requestyourreport.com is the website. And if you don't don't yet have the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates app, I would encourage you to visit the App Store and search under your RLA. That's Y-O-U-R-R-L-A, and the app will pop up. It is a free app, and it gives you access to all of our free educational resources. That's my program for this week. Hope you got something you can use, and I'll be back again next week.